invite you to take your copy of God's Word and find Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. In 1972, I began my seminary studies, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. I soon learned that the smartest man on the faculty was Professor John Newport, who taught philosophy of religion and of whom I had, with whom I had two classes. His reputation was that uh, he was so brilliant he could read so quickly he would go to the bookstore and read the book to decide if he wanted to buy it. I actually saw him on one occasion at the bookstore just flipping pages. I'm sure he was reading it. He could read as fast as he could turn pages. The word on campus was that when Dr. Newport was driving about town, he would be reading a book. And I saw him do that. I pulled up behind him at a traffic light and he was reading a book. A brilliant man. Two months before I enrolled as a student, Kim and I, along with some of you, I went to Dallas for Explo 72. We were young. Explo 72 was hosted by Bill Bright and what was then known as Campus Crusade for Christ. 85,000 college students and high school, junior high students gathered in Dallas for a week of preaching and singing and learning how to share the gospel. We met every night in the Cotton Bowl. It was a glorious experience. And uh, toward the end of the week, we were all given a neighborhood to evangelize, and we were sent out across the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex with uh, copies of the Four Spiritual Laws. On that afternoon, I learned later, as I was Dr. Newport's student, that one of those teenagers knocked at his door and asked Professor Newport, are you saved? And John Newport said, well, I have been saved. I'm being saved, and I will be saved. I don't know what the response of that teenager was, but that's what John Newport said to that young person. It's a good answer. Now, 999 times out of 100, when somebody says to you, are you saved, just say yes. That's, that's good enough. And you can share your testimony if you want to, but you can say what John Newport said. I have been saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved. So I want to talk to you this morning about salvation in three tenses, justification, sanctification, and glorification. I know most of you know and understand these, these words. They're words that are found in Holy Scripture. But it's important that we grasp the meaning of them because if we're going to be everything that Jesus suffered and bled and died on the cross and rose from the dead for us to be, it's important that we be rooted and grounded in sound doctrine and sound words. So we begin in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul says to the Philippians, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I want to 
to suggest this morning that all three of these doctrines, the doctrine of justification, the doctrine of sanctification, and the doctrine of glorification are found in embryonic form in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. So let's begin with justification. Number one, justification, I have been saved from the penalty of sin. If you are a Christian, you have been justified from the penalty of your sin. Now, if you'll look again in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul wrote, He who began a good work in you. Salvation begins at a moment in time. Now, there are other things that take place when a a sinner repents and believes besides justification, but certainly this one takes place. Uh, The moment you repent of your sins and put your trust in Jesus as your Savior, you are justified in the sight of God. It is a good work which God did in a moment in space and time. Now, negatively, to be justified means that God sees me just as if I never sinned. Now, we all have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, but when we are in Christ, he sees us just as if we've never sinned. But it's more than negative. It's it's also positive. Positively, it means when, when I'm in Christ, it means that Christ sees me as if I always obeyed throughout my life. And so it means positionally that those of us who are in Christ are as righteous as Jesus is righteous. That is not our practice, but that is our position. God declares us righteous in his sight. It is a forensic term. It is a legal term. We are declared by the court of heaven to be as righteous as the Lord Jesus is righteous if, in fact, you and I are in Christ Jesus. How can this be? That's a good question. And it deserves a straight answer. So let's think for a few moments about the method of justification. How is it that God has justified those who repent and believe. Well, first of all, it's through the death of Christ as our substitute. We see this taught in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. We are justified through the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. Now look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. This may be the greatest verse in all the Bible. God made him, that is God the Father, made God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who had no sin, Jesus was sinless, to be sin for us, so that in him, that is in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. That is the work of God for our salvation. Jesus Christ took upon himself on Calvary's cross the righteous and just wrath of a holy God against all sin, including the sin of all who repent and believe. And when we trust in him, then we give him our guilt and he gives us 
his righteousness. We are clothed with the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So it's through the death of Christ as our substitute. Any understanding of the death of Christ, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, uh, think in terms of penal substitution is an inadequate understanding of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are plenty of people today who profess to be evangelicals who reject the penal substitutionary doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ, but not us. How are we justified? Through the death of Christ as our substitute. Next, through the blood of Christ. We see this in Romans chapter 5. Uh, just find uh, the fifth chapter of Romans. It's not far from 2 Corinthians. And uh, there we read in uh, chapter 5, verse 9. Since we have been justified by his blood. It is the blood of Jesus on the cross that cleanses us from our sins. We find justification through the shed blood of Christ. We come to the Lord's table later in this service. We'll take the cup. The cup is a, is a symbol of the awful price that Jesus had to pay for our justification. No shed blood, no justification, no justification, no hope for eternity. So, we are justified through the death of Christ as our substitute. We are justified through the blood of Christ shed on the cross. Next, we are justified through the grace of Christ. Look in chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, verse 24. And are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, this is a grace gift of God to be declared just in the sight of God. No, no one of us deserves that. If we got what we received from our righteous and holy God, we'd be cast forever and ever from his presence. But no, we have received from him grace. So that God gives us this gift of salvation, this gift of justification. Not because we're so good, but because we're so desperately needy. And so we sing amazing grace. It is amazing. Far more so than we can yet imagine. So we're justified through the death of Christ as our substitute, through the blood of Christ, through the grace of Christ. And then next we're justified by faith in Christ. Look in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, verse, excuse me, verse 28. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the work of the law. Now, if you could keep the law, I guess suppose you could be justified, but you can't keep the law. Nobody keeps the law. Only Jesus kept the law. So we, we, we delude ourselves and deceive ourselves if we think we're, we can do that when we can't. It is by faith in, what, in who Jesus is that we receive this gift of justification. Justification by faith was the great rallying cry of the Protestant Reformation. The Roman church of that day was selling indulgences and you just sort of buy your way out of purgatory and eventually you'll make it on to glory. There was a German monk named Luther who read the Bible and saw that the just shall live by faith. And he 
he nailed 95 theses to the cathedral church there in Wittenberg, Germany, and a reformation was on. And you and I, 500 plus years later, we are the recipient of that because Luther called us back to the faith of Paul and Peter and John and the apostles that is revealed in the pages of the New Testament. So how are sinners justified? Through the death of Christ, through the blood of Christ, through the grace of Christ, and by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to think with me not just about the method of our justification, but let's think for just a bit about the benefits of being justified by God. Let me share with you three. First, those who are justified have peace with God. Look in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a grace gift, to have peace with God. Do you have peace with God? Do you have the assurance of eternal salvation? Do you know beyond any shadow of doubt that you are a child of God? Righteous is Jesus is righteous. Do you have that peace, that settled peace? You can have it. Look at it again. We are justified through faith. We have peace with God. Those of us who are the sons and daughters of God, we have no fear of death, none, because we know God. We know he is our, our father, and our eternal destiny is set and secure forevermore. We have peace with God. Number two, we have access to God. Look in Romans chapter 5, verse 2. Through whom we have gained access by faith into the, get, into the grace in which we now stand. To be justified means you have access to God through Christ. Now, you don't have to go to a, a priest for him to intercede and pray for you. You don't have to come see me and ask me or one of our pastors to pray for you. We're all priests of God if we're in Christ. We just go straight to the throne room in heaven. We have access to the throne room in heaven because we've been justified by Christ Jesus. We have faith in him. God is our father. We are his children. We don't need an intermediary. We have Jesus, our great high priest. We have peace with God. We have access to God. Then we have no condemnation. Look in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. What a wonderful promise we read here in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That therefore goes back to the first seven chapters of Romans. And in the first seven chapters of Romans, we learn of the guilt of Adam's fallen race. And we learn of the justifying, saving grace found in Christ Jesus. Therefore, those of us who are in Christ Jesus have no condemnation. So don't let the devil tell you. And you're a guilty sinner when you know your sins are under the blood of Christ. No condemnation. You haven't learned how to talk back to the devil. Come see me, I'll teach you. A lot of people, not condemned, but they think they are. And they just struggle and struggle and struggle. It's right here in the Word. No condemnation. 
So, we're talking about salvation today in three tenses, past, present, future. Past, we've been justified. We have been saved from the very penalty of sin. The penalty of sin is eternal death. We will never suffer eternal death because we have been justified. We've been saved from the penalty of death, eternal death. Number two, sanctification. I am being saved from the power of sin. I have been saved in the past from the penalty of sin. I am being saved, present tense, moment by moment, from the very power of sin. Now, we won't go back to Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, but the Scripture says there, He who began a good work in you, that's justification, will carry it on. What God did in your life when you first trusted Jesus as your Savior, he will carry it on. He will do it today and tomorrow and the next day and all the days if we surrender to him day by day. It's sanctification. This word sanctification is the word that means holy, to be set apart. It is, a, it is an ongoing, progressive experience of salvation. Now, the goal of sanctification, first of all, is holiness. Look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. God is sanctifying his, his children. And in uh, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, we read in verse 23, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the goal of sanctification is, is to be holy. In other words, to be like Jesus. So the longer you're a Christian, the more like Jesus you should be. With, with the passing of the days and the years, you are being increasingly conformed to the likeness of the Son of God. It's not automatic. Some people have it are not being increasingly conformed to the likeness of the Son of God because they're not seeking after the Lord. But those who are seeking after the Lord are being made increasingly like the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we, we're to be holy. Scripture says, Old Testament, New Testament, again and again and again, be holy as I, the Lord, am holy. We sing, he breaks the power of cancel sin. He sets the prisoner free. And Jesus will do that for all of us if we daily submit to his lordship and by faith ask him to fill us with his spirit. Now, you get justified in a moment in space and time. You get sanctified over the course of your lifetime. From, from the moment of conversion until you slip into the arms of God at death. Being sanctified. Now, if the goal of sanctification is holiness, the means of sanctification is twofold. It is the Holy Spirit 
and the Word of God. The Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And we see this in Coloss- excuse me, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. I'm just going to read the whole verse, but we're going to focus on the second half of the verse. Paul writes, But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you. Why did God choose you? Here's why. To be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. So there you see the twofold means of sanctification. One is the Holy Spirit, and the other is belief in the truth. And we know that uh, the Bible is, is the truth. Jesus said, your word is truth. All scripture is God breathed. God doesn't lie because God has given us this holy work. This is a book of truth. So if we're going to be sanctified, if we're going to be made increasingly like the Lord Jesus Christ, it will be as we go to the scriptures and we read the scriptures and the Holy Spirit interprets the scriptures to us. And perhaps on one occasion, uh, as we're reading the scriptures, uh, we see here's a promise we didn't know about. So we claim it for ourselves and it makes us more like Jesus. And the next day we read the scriptures and here's a command. We didn't know we were guilty of breaking and we see ourselves guilty and we repent of that and ask God to cleanse us and fill us with the Spirit, and it makes us more like Jesus. And so we do that day after day, week after week, year after year, decade after decade, and we come to the end of life's journey, and we're a whole lot more holy and a whole lot more like Jesus than when we started 50, 60 years earlier. Sanctification. I'm being saved from the power of sin. sin. Sin is powerful. But we have the Word of God and we have the, the Spirit of God to give us supernatural instruction and supernatural power, which is greater than the power of the temptation that comes against us. We're talking about salvation in three tenses today. Look, if you're a Christian... You're not as saved as you're going to be, <laughs> nor am I. It's going to get fixed. I can't wait. <laughs> Come, Jesus. Justification. I have been saved from the penalty of my sin, which is eternal death. Sanctification. I am being saved day by day, moment by moment, from the power of sin over my life. And then finally, number three, glorification. I will be saved from the presence of sin. Someday, you and I who are in Christ Jesus will be saved from the very presence of sin itself. Paul said to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, He who began a good work in you will carry it on, watch this now, until the day of Christ Jesus. What is the day of Christ Jesus? That's the day Jesus comes at the end of the age. And when Jesus returns at the end of the age and we see Jesus, our salvation will be complete. We shall be like him. We shall be like Jesus. We will be like him in our soul, 
Look in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Now I remind you that our, we are all are soulish creatures. Soul is, is mind, emotions, and will. We have the capacity to think and, and decide. Excuse me, the capacity to think, that's our mind. Emotions, the capacity to feel. And then the will, the capacity to decide. In my mind, I know the truth. In my emotions, I love the truth. And in my will, I obey the truth. Now, look in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Dear friends, now we are the children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know. K-N-O-W. We know. That when he, that's Christ Jesus, appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And Jesus is perfect, and we shall be saved from the very presence of sin when we see the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of the age. Oh, heaven is going to be glorious, glorious, far greater than you and I could ever imagine. But the best part about heaven, no sin. None. We shall be like him. He, he was sinless, tempted in every way, but sinless. And when we see him, we will be like him. We will be delivered. We will be saved from the very, the very, the very presence of sin when we receive from him our glorified resurrection bodies. But it's not just in our soul. It's in our bodies. Look at back in Philippians chapter 3. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, uh, verses 20 and 21. Not just perfect soul, but perfect bodies. Now, when Paul penned these words to the Philippians, he was uh, writing from prison. It's one of the prison letters. But he had hope. Things looked very dire for the Apostle Paul when he was in prison. But he knew there's, there's glory ahead. In God's good time. Verse 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ. Our Savior is coming back. Verse 21. Who? By the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. What kind of power is that? Will. Watch this will transform our lowly body so that they will be like his glorious body. <laughs> I'm going to get a body like that of Jesus. His glorified resurrection body after he came out of the tomb. That's, that's our destiny. I'm going to lay aside my pain. My ailments, my infirmities. Have a body like Jesus. And if you know and love Jesus, so will you. These old earthbound bodies are not fit for heaven. These broken bodies are as out of place in heaven as a Model T forward to be at Talladega 500.
Hallelujah. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. We've been justified. At a moment in space and time, we have been saved from the penalty of our sin. Have you been justified? Have you? I know that most of us here have been. But I'm also persuaded in an assembly of this many people, there's probably a number here who've never experienced the justifying grace of God. That's some good news for you. You can be today. If you'll repent and believe, you'll be justified today. Instantaneously, as righteous as Jesus is righteous. We are being sanctified. We are being saved day by day from the power of sin against us. We walk with the Lord. Are you being sanctified or are you just living a carnal, fleshly, worldly life? Living for the things of this world that do not satisfy. When you know fully well only Jesus satisfies. Are you? If not, why not? Holiness is a choice that you make every single day. And then the best is yet to be our glorification, which happens in the future when Jesus comes. We don't know when that will be. We pray, hope it'll be soon where we will be saved from the very presence of sin itself. Are you ready for that great day? Do you long for his appearing? Or do you want him to wait a while so you can do a few more things on your bucket list? I want to tell you this. Whatever your bucket list is, it is nothing to compare with the glories that await the sons and daughters of God in heaven. Do you say with John in the apocalypse, even so, come, Lord Jesus. He has come and he is coming again. Pray with me, God our Father. We marvel at your grace to us in justifying us from our guilt and sanctifying those who seek the Lord. And someday you will glorify us at the end of the age when Jesus comes. Thank you for this, this grace and mercy to us. We love you because you loved us first. And sent your son, the Lord Jesus, to be the atoning sacrifice 
for our sins. Blessed be your name. Amen.